Good to see you all. Over the last day, six weeks, we've been um, bringing the Bible to life, and we've looked at a variety of uh, hot topics, relationships, and, and specifically to do with forgiveness. What's the point of marriage is another one we've looked at. Work and how we handle stress in our lives. Money and how we make ends meet. We've heard a little bit about that from the front practically this morning. Self-worth. Am I worth anything? And this morning, gender. How do I make sense of this? The aim in all of this has been the same thing. It's not to tell you what to think, but to help you think biblically for yourself. In the area of gender, things are changing rapidly. Many Christians and churches don't know what to think and are afraid, frankly, to offer opinions at the fear of being labelled as transphobic. So we quietly take cover and hope for the best. That's what we do sometimes, isn't it? Understandable. But really, the take cover approach isn't really helpful, especially not for Christians who find themselves helping and supporting loved ones, students, children who might be biologically female but feel male or are biologically male but feeling themselves that they're female. How do we give wise, godly advice that doesn't condemn but rather holds out hope to them for God's better future? Well, I would suggest rather than hiding from the subject, better, I think, to say that we don't understand everything whilst always seeking understanding by looking to the Bible as a blueprint for what it means to be male and female made in the image of God in this imperfect world that we live in. So today I would say marks our starting point for an ongoing conversation on gender. Uh, so this is, I guess, is just the beginning of this conversation. And I encourage you uh, after today, if you have questions or comments you want to make or throw into the mix, email us with these questions. Uh, and we'll do our best to try and at least give you some kind of answer and enter into a conversation with you and the church about that. Always remembering that it is a conversation about a subject that affects the lives of real people. Taking note that over 35% of transgender people attempt suicide. Therefore, let's choose our words carefully and graciously with humility and a willingness to listen to each other. So let's clarify what we're talking about today and what we're not talking about. Definition uh, of transgender is noting or relating to a person whose gender identity does not correspond to that person's biological sex assigned at birth. Or noting or relating to a person who does not conform to societal gender norms or roles. 
There's another a term that is, is, is in this discussion more and more, and it's that of gender dysphoria. So the definition of that is the condition of feeling one's emotional and psychological identity as male or female be opposite to one's biological sex. So you feel different from the sex that you're born with. Gender dysphoria occurs in 1 in 30,000 male assigned births and 1 in 100,000 female assigned births. And that's taken from Black's Medical Dictionary. There is no conclusive proof of what causes this. There's different theories, whether physical or psychological or both. No one has determined exactly what that is. So today we're talking about the T, transgender and LGBTQ. We're talking about the T, only that today. Transgender is not the same as sexual orientation, whether we are straight or gay and so on. It isn't fundamentally about surgery or how someone dresses. A transgender person will tell you it's, how, it's about how they feel inside. Maybe that's how you feel. Or maybe a friend you have, or a family member, or someone you work with, might be an adult, or a child, or a young person. Hopefully what I say today will be helpful rather than unhelpful. Certainly not my intention to make things harder for anyone. So where do we start? Well, I'd like to suggest uh, we start from the place of humility by approaching the subject in prayer. So we're going to take uh, the Lord's Prayer as we find it in Matthew chapter 6. Just ask. Alison, to put that up. Thank you. Uh, and apply it to the subject of gender to see where this prayer takes us to in the Bible. So we shall we begin by saying the prayer as per this version together now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thanks. And so we pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does this tell us? Well, this tells us that we've been created by God, our Father, and it's Father's Day, so this is relevant today, and that we've been made to worship him, hallowed be your name. And that's where we read the, the very start of the Bible in Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And in Psalm 139, beautiful Psalm of David, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It's 
Psalm 139. So our starting point is this. Every human being, every single one, is made in the image of God and is made to worship God. Literally, every person we meet, male and female, is made to reflect God's image and is made to worship God. This means that when we worship God, we worship Him as male and female together, like we are doing this morning. And that's not something we should tamper with or choose for ourselves. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, has made us to live in communion with him as male and female, the same but different, praising him because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is God's blueprint for what it means to be human, and we find it here in our Bibles. Our current culture, born out of the Enlightenment period, is an individualistic culture. And in this type of culture, the blueprint is different. This model places the choice of the individual at the center of the person's world rather than God. And that, that leads to a number of differences that come out of that. In a culture where the individual is king, everything else takes second place to the person's right to choose including their right to self-select their own gender. This is a logical progression of the path our society has chosen and why I think we have, have moved from two genders to multiple gender choices. Now, whether you agree with me about that or not, the question that I would like to pose today is, is that a good path? And I do believe it's okay and important for us to ask that question, as long as we, the church, ask it with gentleness and respect. It's important because the more extreme choices that choosing our gender will lead us down are like hormone suppressants and surgery are hard to reverse and may well damage rather than help the person's sense of self-worth and identity. And I think it's important too for children and young people, we have a duty as adults to them not to rush them down a path they may later regret in life. And in the midst of all this, our commitment as a church remains the same, to help every person join with us in worshipping God. Because it is only in knowing God that we will truly know ourselves and enjoy the life God has given us. We were singing it earlier, and that's a wonderful song that Phil chose for this morning. You are a good, good father, and it is who you are. And I'm loved by you, God, and that is who I am. That's how we discover our identity. Not by choosing it ourselves. 
is it's been chosen for us by God. And we, we find our, our, our fulfillment and happiness in discovering what that means for us. And so we pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In my life as it is in heaven. So here's some news just in. Our world and the people who live on it are not perfect. Maybe you knew that already. We don't live in the Garden of Eden. Eternal life doesn't grow on trees. Admittedly, we do live in God's own county. That's a bonus. But North Yorkshire, even North Yorkshire, isn't heaven. Some of us have had the high privilege of living in God's own country. (laughs) But even Scotland isn't heaven. Our world is groaning, and so are our bodies. And this is not how God plans it to be. The Apostle Paul talks about this in his letter to the early church in Rome. Romans 8, which has already been read to us uh, from uh, the front this morning early. Here's another part. Romans 8, 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is our current position. Things are not the way They should be. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. Here's what Vaughan Roberts uh, says. The Bible's insight that we are all both created and broken is vital for understanding not just transgender questions, but every kind of human affliction physical or psychological. We have all been profoundly impacted by the fall. That refers to what we read about in Genesis and man's decision, mankind's decision to go their own way away from God. That's a quote from uh, Vaughan Roberts in, that was written down somewhere. Transgender book called Transgender. Other books which have have helped me think about this are uh, Glenn Harrison's book, A Better Story. Thank you to Richard for lending that to me. I must give you it back sometime. (laughs) And uh, Understanding Gender Dysphoria by Mark Yarhouse. Greg also gave me an article from Youth and Children's Worker called Trans what divines a person's identity. Really good article. We can give you a copy of that if you like afterwards. 
So how do we help people who are, are working through their gender dysphoria to follow God's will? Rather than listening to me, I'd like you to listen to two testimonies that I've quoted extensively from this article. Two testimonies from two professing Christians with two different views. And there's some very wise and helpful comments in there that I'd like you to hear this morning. So first of all, Alec Toombs. Alec's training to be a mental health social worker. A 22-year-old transgender man about to start a medical transition to change parts of his body and combat his experiences of gender dysphoria. Alec was born a biological female and is transitioning to become a male. Alec says, I always struggled with whether God loves me and whether he created me like this. What's sinful and what's not? Because the Bible isn't clear cut in any of this. I think for me, it's always been important to come back to the fact that God loves me and he loves everyone regardless of what is going on in their life. Jeanette Howard is an author. Her most recent book is called Dwelling in the Land. And it's about bringing same-sex attraction under the Lordship of Christ. Although Jeanette once experienced severe gender dysphoria, she is now comfortable in her assigned gender identity. She was born a biological female and has chosen to come to terms with that and remain so. So Jeanette, who's about 60, says this, referring to the other person, Alec, and I grew up in entirely different worlds. Transitioning just wasn't an option for me. You just got on with hiding. When I became a Christian, it was a real challenge. I knew that if I converted, it meant stopping stopping all that I had ever believed in and acted upon. It meant leaving the love of my life, and I've not had a relationship since. If I had the option to transition now as a believer, I wouldn't. If God is sovereign and creator, then I need to take that seriously. He is creator, and I am created. If God is not sovereign in all things, how do I determine what he is sovereign in and what I can just overturn? Jesus' life was one of submission and surrender, and therefore, isn't that what my life is meant to be? As we think through these dilemmas in here, some of our young people in the extreme are up in Greg's new office, way up in the gods there. And they're doing the same with Greg and Rachel right now. Alec Toombs says, I would have loved this space to talk. I think all teenagers probably resonate with that. The space to sound out feelings and to explore identity. It's important to have theological discussion. But while you're struggling with something like this, it's important to build that relationship with a child or a young person first and create that space for them to open up. Jeanette Howard says, as a children or youth worker, 
You're not there to solve people's problems, but to walk alongside, love them and support them. Even though I would make clear God's creational intent, you're still with them whatever decision they make. And then as a parents, what about the parents of people going through this? Well, Alex says, even though it is me that is transitioning, it obviously impacts my parents, and that needs to be acknowledged and respected. There's a sense of loss. My parents have taken time to come to their conclusions about me, and they've developed their own theological understanding about what is going on. Something they often got at our previous church was blame. They got a lot of problem solving and a lot of suggestions like we'll pray for Al for her to be healed. So how should a church like ours respond? Well, Jeanette says, I think you can, you can be biblically inclusive as a church. It's like this is what we believe God's word says and how his Holy Spirit is leading, but we want to include you because you're loved by God no matter how you feel. And within that loving and accepting environment, how are you going to live? How are you going to flourish with the feelings you have? Investigate these in the light of God's truth. Uh, And this is exactly what we're trying to do by bringing the Bible to life. We're equipping ourselves to live in the light of God's truth when we're faced with hard subjects like this. And so we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We trust God for our bread, the practical stuff that we, the basics that we need to live But also we trust God daily for our emotional and spiritual needs too. God knows and cares about our physical needs. We saw that in the life of Jesus, the way he fed people. And he also knows and cares about our emotional and spiritual needs too. This is uh, why our life support pastoral care system led by Kerry Morgan in this church aims to treat everyone as a whole person made in the image of God. Jesus says in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So taking our lead from Jesus, our life support here in this church is based on the following values. And you can see this in our life support policy. First of all, God's love and compassion for all people. Secondly, the unique worth of all human beings made in God's image. The sensitive application of God's word to people's lives. And lastly, an unconditional love for all people, regardless of their lifestyle, values, and personality. This is our commitment to everyone who we encounter in our calling to be like Jesus in the heart of this community. 
And so we say to everyone here this morning, uh, and listening to the podcast, we believe God loves you with all his heart and his compassion for you, whatever your situation and whatever your struggles. We believe God made you. You are completely unique and of infinite value to God, our Father, and therefore we will treat you with the love and respect you deserve. We believe God's Word, the Bible, communicates God's love for you and is relevant and useful for helping you to live your life to the full, the way God has planned for you to live it. And we believe God's love for you is unconditional. No ifs, no buts, no small print. God loves you full stop. And therefore, we will love you too. And when we support people like this, the Jesus way, it enables us to pray together, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. God calls us to be a community of forgiveness. The life of his son, Jesus Christ, demands that we become a cruciform church where people feel safe to bring their burdens and their sins to the cross of Jesus. Here's what it says in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53. He's looking forward to the coming Messiah, who we recognize as Jesus. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Prophet Isaiah identified a coming Messiah as someone who would take on human suffering. So in Jesus, we see a God. We don't see a God who listens and then says, good luck with that. No, in Jesus, we see a God who listens and says, I know how you feel. Let me carry that burden for you. Let me share your pain and heal your wounds. Whatever wrongs you have done and whatever wrongs have been done to you, they are now my wrongs and they have been dealt with at the cross. I am the wounded healer and I will bear with you in your suffering. That's what Jeanette was talking about in her testimony that we read earlier. Choosing the difficult path and trusting God to be with us in it. And this is what Jesus offers each one of us today. He invites us to a meal of bread and wine where everyone is welcome. We don't need to sort ourselves out first to come to this table. We don't need to leave our problems at the door outside. On the contrary, Jesus invites us to bring the lot and leave it at the foot of the cross. 
And in his place, he wants to give us peace. And he did that. He achieved that by giving his life for us, by giving his life for you. And so we can pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. When we partake in this meal, Jesus points our lives in a new direction. By sharing it with each other and the Lord, we offer our lives and our bodies to God as an act of worship. We take ourselves off the throne of our lives and say to the Lord Jesus Christ, please take a seat. It's yours. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Romans 12, 1 and 2, which we've already heard from uh, the front this morning. Here's what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, we often worry about all the things we'll have to give up if we give our lives to Jesus and, you know, what we might lose out on. But this tells us you're not going to lose out on anything because God's will for you is good, it's pleasing, and it is perfect. It is perfect just for you, tailor-made for you. And this meal gives us a little taste of that perfect heavenly future that we're walking towards together. It points us to where we are heading in view of God's mercy. And so Jesus invites us today to join in. All of us, whatever background we come from, whatever our stories are, whatever we're struggling with, whatever our experience, we all come to the cross this morning on this level playing field in view of God's mercy. And we ask him to transform us afresh, to take this simple meal and by his spirit nourish us with the, his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. And we invite his spirit and we pray right now together. Come, Holy Spirit, in view of God's mercy, we offer you our lives afresh. We come before you humbly in prayer today and ask that you will bless us and show us how to live. You know the decisions that each of us face. And Lord, you know the people that we are alongside trying to help. Fill us with your wisdom and grace and words for each other's life. And as we take this meal together, Lord, we pray afresh that you will cleanse us. Cleanse us from our sin. Cleanse us from our suffering. Lord, we thank you that you're with us in this broken world. We thank you for the gift of your son, 
the Lord Jesus and that he has become a man. He was a man. He lived as a man. He died as a man. And he rose again and lives forever at your right hand as a man in heaven. And Lord, this gives us hope for our future today. And we receive it in the name of the Lord Jesus as we gather together in Christ's name. Amen. And so we pray, Lord God, in view of God's mercy, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices today, holy and pleasing to you, God our Father. This is our true and proper worship. We don't want to conform to the pattern of this world. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, your will, Lord, your good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen.